So the to summarize it, what's the difference between being in the states in the military and being overseas? Um, being overseas is fun, and you can have you can explain away the garbage that you have to do because you have something ahead of you. Whether it's a mission, whether it's some you know whether it's a mission, whether it's you've got folk you're focused towards some sort of capability. I've had deployments where we didn't have a lot going on, and so we all found things to be intrigued about. Um, Whereas stateside, there's always one more something that you could do. There's always one more online training program you could do. There's you're always at the office for one more hour for who knows what reason, and and there's always some bureaucratic way to just add another thing. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. But yeah, I'll start on you, your yeah. cue. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's just jump right in. Today we got Forrest, a uh, a former ranger, and now not a ranger, but a podcaster. What's up? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on, Walt. I do a couple of things, but um, I suppose this is going to be one of those events where it's nice to have two guys who talk to a microphone and a screen actually have a conversation <laughs> to one another. So let's see how it goes. Uh, yeah. short, you know, short background on me. Um, I got, I got, I joined the army when I was right out of high school. I was a, I was a homeschooled kid in rural Minnesota, joined the army, knew I wanted to go into special operations, went right into Ranger Battalion because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about when it, when it comes to different organizations at the time, but we'll get into that later. And then, so went into Ranger Battalion, did four deployments there, got out, and then I worked for a private contracting company, the one that almost everybody knows about, but nobody knows anything about. It's the, the kind of joke. Um, and then after that, I, I stopped doing that. I went to school, college, ended up working as an editor for Recoil after a bout of depression and whatever. And then after that, uh, now I'm here running my own independent media company where I talk about the philosophy of violence and how do we think about gun culture and that's called the redacted culture cast but that's that is the that is the elevator pitch on who Forrest is awesome yeah well, that, that sounds exciting it's gonna be give me fun i'm looking forward to it the yeah. uh yeah yeah i'm just i'm alive with questions but i don't want to go out of order so um you, what it's on you man yeah what was uh so you said you went straight into ranger battalion was was that a recruiter you, you got that from the recruiter or was it you just excelled and were able to um, get that billet? What, what's the process there? At risk of sounding like a, you know, like a self-help book guy. Uh, it was my first lesson in negotiation. No. Um, so I knew I like I had this idea. I, I was I had this idea of what I like. I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a cool guy in the military. That's probably the best way of putting it. Now, now, given, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like a, a football track star or anything like that, but I had an, I had an idea of like, I knew I wanted to join the military by 16, 17. My parents knew all along, but I was kind of an art, artsy kid. So, uh, 
you know, wasn't exactly the highest expected person in my small town, but whatever. Uh, so I knew I wanted to go, but I, I wanted to do special forces and that's all I knew. I was just like, right. you know, I didn't Google it. I, this is 2007, 2008. Like there really was, we kind of forget how much information wasn't on the internet and how much was. And I didn't know anybody who was in the military except for like my grandfather, who was a POW in world war, or I'm sorry, POW in Korea. Mm. So, oh, wow. Yeah. He has a pretty intense story, but he, so, so my, I had this idea of like, oh, I want to join the military. I'm going to be special forces because no one wants to be regular forces. And you're like, okay, whatever. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference between like the seals, the rangers. I wouldn't have been able, I probably didn't even know what force recon was in the Marine Corps. Um, And so I more or less saddled in on army because I think that was like the first recruiter I talked to. And I basically sat down and said, I want to be special forces. And he goes, well, you're 19, you can't, or you're, you're 18. You can't. It's probably 17 at the time, whatever you have to be 21. You have to be 21 to join. I'm like, okay, well then what other options are there? He goes, there's ranger battalion. And I just like, okay, cool. I'll do that. (laughs) And so he says, okay. And I'm like a buck 45, maybe 150 pounds high grades because you know whatever and then uh went to the recruiting station you know not the recruiting station we went down to meps and anyone who's joined the military knows what meps is but meps is that kind of like the recruiter is uh he isn't the commercial he's the guy who gets you ready to go to meps the meps is where it really happens that's where Mm. you sign the paper that's when you get your first physical that's where you take the asvap um now i was my my par- I was homeschooled and my parents were very focused on education and so ta- getting a decent grade on the ASVAP wasn't very difficult. But I think there was some confusion as to why um, I wanted to do infantry. But you know because like hey I don't I, if I can get my choice of jobs in the in the army I'm going to do the cool one right 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 um, and I had this you know fanciful idea that is if as soon as I become a ranger I'm going to be a cool guy. Uh, more on that later. So, and then of course, then I sit down and talk to the the last guy. He's not the recruiter. He's the MEPS guy. And I don't remember what his name is. And I don't remember anything about him, uh, except for he had a poorly lit office with gray floors. And he said, oh, we don't have any Ranger contracts. So I stood up and walked out of the room and he, and, and and it was like, and I, I, he goes, okay, let me make a call. And I'm like, but this was a genuine, you, you weren't like manipulating him. You were just like, oh, well then I'm leaving. I was just like, there's literally no reason for me to be here. Right. Like, right. Because I, I wanted to do special forces. And then you're telling me I don't have Ranger. I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to leave then. Like, call me when you have one because I'm not going to just do your stupid airborne contract. Right. And he's like, oh, this kid is good. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm willing to bet it was, I'm willing to bet it wasn't anything other than that you could, you looked at me and I was thinner than a toothpick and I had a really high score on. So, like, we need to send this guy to nuke or something. I don't sure, know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That makes like, sense. You know, and and so I, I don't want to apply malice to him, but I'm assuming that like there was just some level of like, you really you want to do the ranger, and I'm like I want to go to art school and then learn how to fight people. So, so then so I, I was just like, well, I mean, call me when you have one. Here's my phone number. And he's like, no, 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 we, uh, I'll make a phone call. And I'm like, okay, sure enough, they have one. And so like, okay, cool. So sign the paper. Uh, and then it's basic training, airborne school, rain rip at the time. Yes, I went to rip. I didn't go to rasp. Um, and then, you know, back when it was hard, except for there's another story there. And then, uh, and so went right in the ranger battalion and that's kind of how I got there. I didn't, I wish 
you know, I, I didn't know the difference between special forces and Ranger Battalion and Delta Force and Green Berets and Force Recon. I just didn't know anything about it. So I was a little naive. Right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, I think in popular conception or, or the common, you know, the common understanding, mm-hmm. Rangers, even though they're not technically special forces, it's like, well, they're they're special. They might not be special forces, but they're definitely a, a step above. Yeah, they're an element with a JSOC team. Or not JSOC team. That's the worst way to say it. Anyone who's been in the military who's going to listen to this is going to be like, oh, that that idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, No, uh, they are a tiered unit within JSOC. So they are definitely like a special operations unit. They're just not like... They're they're the well they they are what they say they are. They're the Army's premium direct action unit. Like, so they're Mm. the... They're the gateway drug to being in the special operations world, and they're def- they're definitely, you know, there's they're they're, they're human beings, so there's there's a, that humanity to them. But to put it gently, we had a I think we had like a sergeant major or command sergeant major who came in once, and in his like intro, and this is all vague information because I, I at this time I don't remember it very very clearly, but he ended up saying something like you know well the Rangers are just high speed eighty second. And he, needless to say, didn't last very long in battalion. And it was like, yeah, well, um, so so I think that's an interesting, that was an interesting thing for me back in that time. I wish I had kind of known it better. But how could you have is probably the other, is the proper response sure. of like in the military. So you've got the military, you've got the big military as a whole and and trying to understand its it's um not only just it's like it's rank structure is usually pretty straightforward but it's the way that it has like it has organizations and tasks and objectives and like okay so at at the time that i was in ranger battalion's primary like skill set right when you think of it we've got a problem who do we call well Mm. you could call the Oh, and this is this is not real. This is this is a metaphor. But like, oh, do we have to swim? Is it on an island? We call the seals. Is it a hostage rescue? We call the Delta Force guys. Is it is it is it an airfield seizure? We call the Rangers. Like, in a right. sense, there's this way that you look at different military units according to their tasking, or their capabilities, or what they're and and how do you measure capabilities? Because all of this goes on and on and on. But Ranger Battalion at my time existed as a tier two unit within JSOC which means that we worked under Joint Special Operations Command. And while we were overseas, our primary mission sets that I deployed for were um, high-value target raids, high-value target kill capture mm. raids. So sure. We did other things too, but it was primarily like direct action focused. Um, not, we, weren't doing, um, we weren't doing sustainment operations. We weren't doing, uh, which doesn't, which can mean two different things to two different people, but we weren't doing like, what the green berets do, which are the technical self our special forces. We weren't sure. doing long form relationship building training operations with indigenous forces to produce a, whatever you want. We didn't do that. We, we worked with indigenous, but uh, what I mean, indigenous, we worked with like Afghanis and Iraqis, but we, we weren't like, we had a different mission tasking than mm. what Delta Force or what Delta Force would have had or what Green Berets would have had or what the SEALs would have had. So Sure. Sure. I'm <laughs> I'm just thinking in my mind, uh, who would be more insulted by this statement? Which which group would be more insulted by this statement? That what the Marines are to the Navy, the Rangers are to the Army. Uh ooh. Um 
Because just I've, and, I've, and I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, I'm joking, but from what you're saying, there is I do see kind of a similarity, like the primary uh, shock troop, I guess, kind of, or or yeah, there's obviously there's the a... Marines are bigger, but. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it kind of goes into also what contemporary warfare looks like, because in a in a traditional sense, I mean, if you look at how Ranger Battalion was started, uh, Ranger Battalion was started uh, in many ways inspired by the British commandos out of World War Two, mm. um, and 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 given Ranger Battalion draws its history way further back, and because we get terms like Robert Rogers' Rules of Ranging, we get right. Francis Marion the Swamp Fox. And there is absolutely like I think I, I have one of my old Ranger handbooks on the deck here, or on the bookshelf, and and there's certainly like a lineage in the beginning For that sure. talks about the history of it. But it's not a linear line. It's not like oh well the the Americans before there was even the United States started the Rangers and then they just lasted forever. Like we have a lot. We're kind of an on, we're an on on again off again dating history with reality. So right. <laughs> But in but in World War II, there was a certain observation made. From, the U.S. military made a U.S. Uh, an observation of the British commandos and their kind of special tasking, special capabilities. The, a more elite soldier, if you will, mm-hmm. and so they sought to create their own. And then since then, there it we've Ranger Battalion has Rangers have kind of been stood up, been a thing, disappeared for a while, came back, been a thing, disappeared for a while, and this kind of weird stochastic appearance um sometimes the army has tried to use ranger battalion to be like okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna set aside a group of these dudes we're gonna we're gonna train them up really good they're gonna and then and then they end up doing something really interesting and then we're gonna want to dismiss disperse them around amongst the army so they can hopefully raise the tide or the capability Mm. of the whole army sure with mixed with mixed success and so then the term being a ranger there's ranger school and then that means something else and and how all of this kind of stuff distills out to sort of there's a reason why it's being a ranger is so fuzzy is because for the last 50 60 70 years well actually yeah since for the last since world war ii we've kind of been an on again off again organization of 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 very capable young men Hmm. so um that's kind of the best way to put it it's it's technically a unit it right, is right there there is right under in our current time there is the 75th ranger regiment which is the headquarters element and then it's got three ranger battalions and those battalions consist of very young very capable men and women mm-hmm. i think men and women now which is not a good conversation because i don't think there's any way to, i don't think there's any way you end up in that conversation that's good but mm, sure but um that isn't forced is probably the way to say it, but whatever. Needless to say, uh, so there is this Ranger Battalion, and then their their primary focus is is a more elite soldier. You want a guy who you don't have you don't have ten years of time in, so that they're not necessarily on the the CAG Delta Force level, but they're they have this very 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 capable unit in regards to small unit tactics and so the most common video movie that people think about is they think of black hawk down sure so hmm. yeah. yeah so they're kind of like i mean they're, they're they kind of and i know they've changed a little bit so they i mean i got out of ranger battalion in 2013 it's 2023 it's been almost 10 years hmm. so i know that there has been a changes in their organization structure and their equipment levels and their capabilities and possibly 
all, you know, there's all these changes that's happened to them. But while I was in the main place that you would say, the main place that I observed it is Ranger Battalion was kind of like the young man's introduction to the world of special operations. So, mm, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Are, are, uh, I'm sure this is a dumb question. To be a ranger, are you always jump certified? Is that a requirement? Yeah, there. I mean, there are very, very <clears throat> few exceptions, and those are usually administrative ones. But in okay. order to so ranger, ranger, the at the time I was in the primary like conventional tasking that a ranger battalion would have would be airfield seizure, which would require that you're capable of jumping out of an airplane. So there is the sure. airborne ranger thing. Okay. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's been in Ranger Battalion who lost their jump certification and then had to go get it back again. I don't know. I don't know how that works anymore. But um, you, they're uh, they're one and the same. So. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. You have. I'm sorry. You have. You basically have to have both. Right. 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 So. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, because uh, I I I've heard that it's not uncommon for people to go get a Ranger tab just to promote their career and then not continue in a battalion. Do they, Rangers, do they go through the same level of everything and then they just get posted somewhere else? Is that the process? Here's a, here's a primary misconception that, that involves the word Ranger. And okay. it, 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 again, it falls again under that kind of term of like commando, like what is a commando and what is a Ranger? And it, it almost becomes a metaphysical crisis of like identity and stuff like that. Sure. But put very simply, there are the Ranger Battalions, which is a job title. It's a position held where you have a, you are on a team, you are a team leader, you are a squad leader, you are a supporting element, you're an FO, you're whatever, you are in Ranger Battalion. That would be when you put your uniform on, when you put your, when you put your unit, current mm. unit patch on, you put a scroll, you put the appropriate battalion scroll on your sleeve. Sure. That is what most of people who are in red battalion refer to as being a ranger. Right. <laughs> so if it, the when we get into the story, yeah, there's a certain crisis of metaphysics that comes to uh, being being in ranger battalion or being a ranger. And so, you know, what does it mean to be? Is a joke. Right. But right. so there's the ranger. There's the ranger scroll. And that is think of it as you have passed the selection process to be in the unit and do the job. So you will have people who have never been to ranger school, which is different. Um, you'll have people who have never been to ranger school who have the scroll and they've been on deployments and they've been doing the job. Hmm. And then there is the Army's Ranger School, which is like, it's like affiliated but not kind of thing. Okay. And what I mean by that is there is a, there is still that remnant element of Ranger Battalion, which is supposed to be this, supposed to have the goal of like lifting the capabilities of the entire military. And so the relationship, but so the organizational chart relationship is, Ranger Battalion is a unit. You have to uh, you have to get you have to uh, pass a selection process to get into that unit. That means that you know you have to you have to meet a certain physical requirement level. You have to get the approval of the instructors who and the, the the cadre. They have to you know choose you of some sort. So that is Ranger Battalion. Ranger School is a big army run mm. leadership school that that's where you get the tab, the yellow tab, big, you know, yellow ranger tab. Now, 
why are they what is the relationship between the two if you're in ranger battalion if you're a private in ranger battalion and you want to be in your in your and you're going to continue your career there you're going to have to go to ranger school because you have to go to ranger school to be a team leader gotcha and so the ranger school itself although it's a leadership school that's supposed to a leadership and patrol based activities style school which combine which is a combination process of perhaps trying to teach something i don't know i learned some things in ranger school but in ranger battalion they your team leader doesn't want you to fail so they make sure that you know all the things that you're supposed to know before you get there which is mm. kind of it is it is nice that when you're when you're when you're a ranger private and you go to ranger school generally speaking you know everything that they're talking about you just are learning how to talk about it in the format appropriate to the to the course sure but then ranger school so this is the point ranger school is then anyone can go to it but the primary um, the, the mo most of the students who are in each ranger school class are consistent consists of ranger battalion privates getting ready to become a team leader or gain some leadership position and infantry officers who have to have a tab before they can lead a platoon okay. um so therefore there's another so now you have another correlation between the two which is well a lot of people with the scroll end up going to get their tab and then you have a third correlation of quite a few of the people who are cadre for ranger school are people who maybe are and this is may have changed a little bit and there was a certain stigma attached to it too as well but they are people who um, were in Ranger Battalion, who were at a certain rank, but didn't have any positions to fill to kind of justify their movement forward. Like, for example, I've got my E7 time and I'm waiting to get my E8 time or my E6, whatever you're waiting to get a platoon. You're waiting to take on a first sergeant position, but there's none open. Mm. So you'll go to Ranger School and be cadre there for a year and then you might come back. Or I've heard stories of like somebody was in Ranger Battalion and something happened. They kind of got disgraced. So they went to Ranger School and they saw that as a form of punishment as like being cadre there. And I this is where I get to step back and say I left the military as a team leader. There was certainly a lot of chatter about it, but I don't remember anymore. I don't. Sure. I don't. Sure. I, I, I've, I've, I've gotten a little bit older and realized just because your 21 year old friend said that Sergeant such and such, who's not a cool guy, obviously isn't that cool because he went to Ranger School to be a cadre. Doesn't mean that I know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So, uh, kind of a two-part question. You 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 deployed both Iraq and Afghanistan, correct? Yes, Iraq was extremely short for me. Okay. Okay. So then maybe, well, I'll I'll ask anyways, and you you uh, answer as as you will. I'm curious about the comparison between um, stateside service and deployment, and also um, a little bit the difference between Afghanistan and Iraq. But if you were in Iraq for a short time, that might be a difficult. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I basically can't really speak for Iraq. I think I was okay. there for like a total of two and a half months, and all I really ended up doing was getting the 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 you know the the flesh hurt by the team leaders with their boredom so like if it you know i was i was on a deployment my first deployment i came over mid-rotation to iraq and it was not a very busy deployment so the team leaders had a lot of time to make the lives of their fresh privates 
yes. uh, into either a training operation or a punishment experience. So that that was a little that was a little odd. The environment was neat though. It was kind of my first time in that part of the world. I was 19 years old, um, and I remember like the just the extremely thick, very thin like well it's it's like micro dust particles everywhere. So everything got dirty. Oh, yeah. But I did not have any meaningful interaction with the population there. And I basically didn't leave a square mile for that whole time with exceptions. So sure. Um, it's hard to dis- it's it would be hard for me to distinguish the experiences of being in Iraq from the experiences of it being my first deployment. So that was a pretty big one. I'm here. You got me. I I've had this issue. Oh, I I lost you. You have. Yeah, I think when you're scrolling it through, I mean, I guess this is this this is the breaking the fourth wall. I've um, we'll see how it goes, but I'll I'll restart where I was just so you know in case there was a, a glitch or whatever. But yeah, it's it's really hard for me to distinguish between what was my first deployment. And what was Iraq? So I would oh, not. Oh, sure. You know, it was just, it was very much so young 19 year old me, first deployment, didn't really leave a square mile for most of my time there. Learned a lot, learned how to drive a striker, learned how to climb this, a ladder with a caving ladder, learned how to do the, all these, learned how to lose my flashlight in a bounding operation. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And so it's, it's it's it would be hard for me to parse out what was a first deployment memory and what was an Iraq memory. That would be a hard one for me. That yeah, that's a good point. I didn't realize that, but yeah, that would be because it's so blended together. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty short, you know. Like and there's there's I've you know any I just don't I'm I'm not the guy for that. Like sure. I was I was technically there. Sure, you know, pin in the you know put put the pin on my uniform. Sure, but it's not like I was there like in a meaningful way. I was there in my first deployment. Yeah. So, uh, but Afghanistan was, was, so I spent most, I mean, I've done, uh, I've spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, learned Pashtun. So that was cool. Mm. But yeah, so the first part of your question was difference between stateside life and overseas life. Yeah. Um, I joined at a time where most of the people who joined in the military and were in Ranger Battalion at that time joined because they wanted to be overseas. They didn't want to be on the stateside side. So, it's not it's not an uncommon statement to say deployment was like a vacation from the pain of being in the United States. Um, sure. It's a, probably a little bit wordy way of saying it. But the big difference between being overseas and being in stateside on the individual level in your own mindset is that on the individual level, you could basically write off problems as it's not as important as whatever I'm facing right now. For example, I don't have to worry about death and taxes because I've got a mission in front of me. Mm. And that's a very like that's a that's a very dangerous drug because it does call to question the the validity of certain things that we fret over in the United States. But it also then becomes this infinite excuse not to face the things in front of you. Case in point, you know, it, whether it's investments or whether it's time spent with family or whether it's keeping the home front in or the home together. It's really easy to say I can't. I, I don't have time to fix, change the oil in my car. Um, I have to go do something, or I have to go on deployment, or I, ha- I don't have time to, you know, repair my relationship with my my wife or my family or whatever you want to call it. Sure. It's really easy to just say, ah, I need to focus on deployment. 
Um, but at the same time, deployment does have, as you get older and as you spend a little bit more time in the military, it does kind of retain a small sense of adventure because it's, it's, it's just really, it's, I, it's probably my, it's definitely my favorite thing about being in the military. Like if I wasn't married, I would, I would probably never come home if I could stay in some, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I, people say that, and I know I'm wrong when I say that there is fatigue, Right. But there, there's a, and 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 I was privileged in in not the not in the American political sense, but in in the actual sense of like in Ranger Battalion, we only deployed for so long because we knew that once you hit a certain point, people the fatigue of battle made them less capable. Mm, After sure. about 115 days or whatever, you know, I think it's like about 115 days. It was the idea, um, or was it 105? I don't remember anymore. That was the about the time frame where where they started noting battlefield proficiency started dropping off quickly. So that's about the time that Ranger Battalion set their rotations to. So, but yes, big states. The big difference between stateside and overseas is overseas you can get away with a lot of stuff. <clears throat> overseas is where you're doing the thing, not getting ready to do the thing. Sure. Um, there's a lot less focus on administrative uh, bloat. Um, so those are all nice things. Where like. You know, you, you, you get you get a little bit more you get a little you, you're actually doing the thing as opposed to getting ready to do the thing. My 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 time was a very much so either you're training for deployment or you're on deployment mentality. So that was there was no just garrison life. Uh, we actually I, I found the idea of being in the military during the gar- a garrison is kind of horrifying. Sure. You, this sort of you know, and I'm wrong. I'm, I know I, I admittedly I'm wrong, but this idea of this like aimless never ending experience of being yelled at for not shaving enough or something is probably what I think um, garrison life is like. And that's probably needs to be corrected. Mm. Uh, But then, so when I was there, a lot of it was deployment was a combination of anticipation for something that was difficult and like the, a validation of the training. Like we're, we're, we're ready to go do the thing. Let's go do the thing. Let's go do the missions. Let's go hit the raids. Let's go, you know, go be ambitious and, 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 and make something worth writing a book about and not to be too Navy seal about it, but let's, you know, even if we, even <laughs> that's if the question I was going to ask jokingly is, uh, so you're a ranger. When do you release your book? <laughs> uh, well, the technical answer is, and, and for those, if for the people who know me enough is I've been procrastinating on one since 2018. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's not a military memoir. It's on philosophy. Mm, okay. So, sure. So yeah, it's on, huh. it's on, it's on philosophy and masculinity and, and, um, strength. So, uh, I, so I might be, get, if I, if I, if I, if I actually get better at it, I'll, I'll try to get it out this year. So. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, I, I see the point that you're saying though, how, um, and I've heard that a bit that there's a distinct difference between, uh, being home training for mm-hmm. the thing and being home in garrison. Like yeah, it's, just, it's completely different. If you're in a unit that's not expected to deploy soon, it's a different experience than being at home, you know, mm-hmm. training all the time. And I, I guess I, I would say I'm thankful that I never had to experience true garrison life. It sounds terrifying to me. Right. Right. But I'm not alone in that concept. And and in, in some sense, I know it's a little naive, like you can't expect a perpetual world. And, and then we could rail about things like the military industrial complex, even while you're in the military and, right. and say, you know, like, I don't want to be in the military during garrison. So it's, it's, it talks about like structure. You could have a pretty long conversation about social structure when it comes to conflicts and war fighting. 
For sure. Be- being in the military could be described as a perpetual effort to escape the arms of bureaucracy. I think that there's a certain <laughs> attitude within special operations where people pursue going into Ranger Battalion, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, MARSOC, just so they can hopefully have the somewhat movie-like answer of saying, I don't have time for you, Senator. I have to go save the world. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I and some of it is quite valid because the bureaucracy of the government is the bureaucracy of the government. The military is a government organization. Senators get their hands, you know, senators and and, and representatives and, and and whatever get their hand event will always get their hands in something that they shouldn't. And or maybe that they're not equipped to handle maybe things like you got to be careful who is determining the rules of engagement. Um, but, uh, there will always be questions like that, but, and, and that's, it's, you can't escape it. You can't make a, a, a fail safe, perfect airtight bubble that, um, uh, because, because we, we know that there needs to be a, a civilian military relationship. Otherwise it gets very, you know, junta looking mm, yeah, and we kind of, yeah. we, we kind of don't like that. So, but it can be bad. It can be <laughs> historically speaking, of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, it, we're not. Li- we're. It, they've never done a true. We've never seen a true fascism. Would be the best worst statement. It's like okay, <laughs> like I, it's just such a ridiculous statement. But no one ever says that. They're like, oh, true communism's never been tried. It's like wrong. Right. Right. But whatever. Um, that's a that's a conversation again. So the to summarize it, what's the difference between being uh, in the states in the military and being overseas? Um, being overseas is fun and you can have, you can explain away the garbage that you have to do because you have something ahead of you, whether Mm. it's a mission, whether it's some, you know, whether it's a mission, whether it's, you've got folk, you're focused towards some sort of capability. I've had deployments where we didn't have a lot going on. And so we all found things to be intrigued about. Um, whereas stateside, there's always one more something that you could do there's always one more online training program you could do there's you're always at the office for one more hour for who knows what reason and and there's always some bureaucratic way to just add another thing that was just like okay we don't need to do this anymore right it becomes much more of a a, well not exactly but a nine to five experience yeah yeah a zero six to sixty or zero six to sixteen hundred minimum so you're looking at about a minimum 10 hour days but uh, yeah, you're much less likely to get yelled at for missing um, a shave one day while you're overseas. But if you, Lord have mercy, don't smell like, um, air, you know, military base shave brand shaving cream. Right, right. You know, like, oh, well, yes, first sergeant I've had just had sprouted my first hair on my face and I cut it off. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And you're like, did you shave today? Like, bro, I'm 19. I don't ha- I don't grow hair on my face. Right, right. I'll close, I, I, I highly recommend you never refer to a first sergeant as bro. Yeah. Well, that would be you will not survive the experience. <laughs> <That would> be... <laughs> yeah. But it is funny. So, yeah, I hope I answered that question some. I mean, I, the, the, the yeah. easy answer is no one cares about garrison life. You live for deployment. Right. Right. So... You just you just live for it. It's 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 that's that's the drug. It's the fun. It's 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 the 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 meaningful events. Yeah. Whereas when you're home, it's like, sure, I I I I can easily play video games, I guess, and I got to go do a training thing, and I'm getting ready for something. Maybe we got a good TDY. 
Sure, sure. Oh no, we're going to you know West Texas for a training operation. Okay, well, whatever, you know. <laughs> hmm. So maybe I'm not the right answer. Yeah, no, that, that the insight's good. Everybody's got a different experience, you know, so that really flushes it out. Yeah, and so, just the that's good. it. Moving on. Yeah. So what um what was the impetus for getting out, and what was that like? Uh, ooh. So there were the time that I was in the military. Um, I joined the military because I knew I wanted to go on deployments. I didn't want to be a stateside guy. I just I knew it, right? And sure. so, um, and so at that time, there was a combination of forces, or combination of influences. One of them was uh, let's start with the external external pressures uh the process of recruitment was not exactly the pro i'm sorry the process of considering re-upping was very uh i'd say antagonistic at the time things like deliberately withholding rank for the sense of trying to get you to re-up uh people who there there was a there, there was there's this sort of like you know i i i i was my re-upping window was right at that like kind of 13 month mark. And so I was like, okay, we're not going to give you your E5 because if you re-up, we'll give you your E5. And I'm like, you technically can give it to me because I have to have a year left of military service or whatever. And they're like, no, we're only going to do it if you, if you re re up. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's, that was discouraging. Right. Um, another one is that I, we got the impression that the, my last official deployment in range battalion was a, you could basically write it off as being a non-combat deployment. Um, we didn't do any operations at deployment at all. And so I would have said, so, um, so that was a, that, that looked like an identifier that deployments were starting to dry up, that we weren't going to be doing them as much anymore. Mm, sure. And so it would be back to that, uh, no, no deployments, no mission set, only, only garrison life. So I was, I was look a lot and I wasn't the only one, but it looked like, the military was transitioning out of like, we were kind of not doing things anymore. Little did I know this is 2013 and we'd be in Afghanistan for seven more years and then invade Syria and then do all the other things that were and you know, like start sending Rangers to Africa and stuff like that. But let right. me rephrase that, not start, but continue. So, um, so I got, so, but, I, but at that time I was in this window, uh, of thinking, okay, uh, um, you know, Afghanistan is winding down, uh, we're looking at reducing who deploys. I have high enough rank that I'll probably make the deployments, but that's annoying because they won't tell me it. And so on the, on the, on the military side, that was an influence. Another influence on the military side is a new set of rules of engagement came down that around that time frame. I was a team leader. Um, and so I, it, it was very, very, uh, I won't, I don't want to say discouraging is not the right way of saying it. It was, this is, this is inhumane. But rules of engagement had been tri trickled down that um, I, I just thought were like fundamentally immoral. And, and the fact that we would have to abide by them uh, reaches on the level of, mm. you know, this is this if this is the and it had been it, we had been in a constant march that direction. Um, you know, each each rotation, each deployment, it got a little bit different. And th but this was kind of a big nail in the coffin 
And there is there is something to be said that I probably saw that more because I was considering whether or not I was going to stay in or get out. Mm, sure, sure. Uh, but there were there's some rules of engagement that came out that were very, very much so affected our job set. And it was like, this is untenable, that you cannot expect anyone to live by this rule. Um, well, and also you're looking at it as, as being higher up the chain, being a team leader and everything, having to force it as opposed to just operate under it. Well, no, I mean, we're, the, the, the short answer is how am I supposed to explain this to my, you know, my minions, my, uh, my um, battle squires, as you speak, who are supposed to be like, hey, um, if a guy's standing in a doorway with a belt fed machine gun shooting at you, you can't shoot back because somebody else might be in the building is like, mm. OK, we're we're I, we're not children. Sure. We're, you know, you, you you know, you entrust us with M3 Carl Gustafs and hand grenades you know i think we can make we can we're the the whole goal of special operations is supposed to train the individual to be able to make operate our decisions on the on the fly and make the right decision sure. every time on the fly and what this rule of engagement does is it takes any agency out of the hands of the individual and gives it to who the hell knows what and then leaves them in a position where they're incapable of doing anything because they're more concerned about the rules of engagement than I don't know, finishing the mission. Sure. And then, uh, and so, yeah, I might get a little animated on it, but it was, I, it was years later when I was in school that I really started to understand it. So a lot of this comes with the benefit of retrospect. Hmm. So yeah, on the military side, why I got out, that was there. It looked like deployments were winding down. Rules of engagement was getting um, untenable, and then the 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 attractions for staying in were used more like a hook than like a. There was more stick than carrot, right? And and the carrot was clearly tied to a like. Um, it was a little bit you know they weren't very good at being subtle hints. So that was um. That was a big deal. I also wanted to. I I I wanted to be in a on the personal side. I was interested in getting married, even though I hadn't met my current wife. I haven't met. I hadn't met my wife at the time. Well, technically did, but there's a long story there. Right. Uh, and so, like, I I was interested in having like a, a kind of a quieter life for a while. <laughs> there's a joke, and um, and I and I just knew that the being in the military was no way to raise a family, mm. and so. Uh, that's what I thought to myself. There are people who do it, but I was sure. like, ah, you know, and so I got out of the military for those reasons. Um, I just kind of, it's some of it is very like foolish reasons that turned out for the better. And some of them are, you know, good reasons that maybe were left unfulfilled. It's not, it's not a really easy cut and dry answer. I think sure. I just ran out of interest. And if we weren't going to deploy, why would I stay in? That sounds terrible. Right, right. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe contracting is better for me. Right. So you got out with the goal to contract. That I, was your plan. Okay. I mean, there's there, there's a pipeline. You if you're if you've got a decent enough reputation, there's a there's a, there's 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 definitely a. I wouldn't say that there's a one to one like a guaranteed positioning, but there is a little bit of at that time. I don't know about. I can't say the same now anymore. But at that time, it was like. Are you going to go to college or are you going to do the contracting route? And I'm like, uh, I'm probably sure. going to do the contracting route. Sure. I don't know. So, so, so at, your, at your skill set and in your training, were they were the contractors seeking you out or was it an effort on your part? You just We just knew people. Like I okay. knew that. I knew a guy who got out and went over there and I was like, okay, he's a good dude. And I called him and he's like, okay, talk to this guy. And then they I sent them my resume and they did the, the checks and 
stuff and they're like okay cool we fit all the things and it, and it is this is where the mil- the special operations especially that world gets extremely clicky there's a very small circle and you ain't in it that's just the short mm, answer sure and so there is a certain level of there is a certain level of and and everyone in the arena is going to have their own opinions about it but my observation is that there's a certain amount of administrative side to it in other words like checking people's backgrounds and making sure you fit the job description. And there's a certain amount of, okay, you have to pass a qualification course and there's a shooting course and there's a fitness course, but to like, so, so there is a doorway that you have to fit the qualifications to get through, but it's a lot easier to find the doorway. If you know somebody who's on the other side, sure. Yeah, it's 100%. probably the best. So it's not like, I mean, when you're dealing with these kind of things, it's not like there's as many, you know, giant advertisements join now, but there is a little bit of like, okay, it's a mystery world for a reason. Sure. But it's some of that reason is bullshit. It's probably the best way to say it. It's like, okay, you just want to be, you just want to be a secret squirrel. Gotcha. Right. Right. Well, it gives a, like an, an aura to it for sure. Like it, yeah. it attracts people, but yeah, there's, the, the, there's a really in, yeah it's 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 um it's it would be interesting to go back and and try to look at how people separate myth from reality in that field mm. as far as like the process of like what it is you know there's there's everything from super dark disposable black ops ops black so blacker that they throw you in a garbage can and you have to change your identity and burn your fingertips off and you're like is, is this is this real <laughs> and then and then you got other ones where you're like where you find out that you're just you're just a depot guard you're just generic you know sure uniforms black cargo pants we're gonna give you a g36 and you're gonna stand there and look menacing to the desert (laughs) okay (laughs) and no one i've never used a g36 but you get the point there's right right not made in america (laughs) yeah well i mean whatever isn't yeah yeah. So the <laughs> not made in America. I mean, okay, we were using FN machine guns. Are they made? Right. In... Right. The, so um, yeah. So did you? Other guys that were in in the contracting with you, did they? Um, what I'm trying to say, was Ranger like? What was the spread of experience? Did you see a lot of guys who were just regular army, or was Ranger like the baseline? Uh, okay, so yeah, private contracting world is complicated and tiered, and it's and all, every all of its layers are very much so uh, socially held. They're all social constructs, if you will. Okay, and so, sure. um, and so there are certain, you know, there's there's it it, it changes, and and given this is all pre two thousand, this is all pre twenty twenty one. This is before the collapse of Afghanistan. Mm. Um, I'm not in, and and I think to some extent Ukraine was a was a was a, was a great reset of sorts to how nice. the contracting world organized itself because now you had people with years of experience oh. who didn't have a who didn't didn't have the right who did who didn't have weren't over there and then you had guys who had who less 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 experience less military you know check boxes who were over there doing whatever that was and so like there is there is a little bit of a reset that that Ukraine produced which is a little daunting because it's really pointing towards you know like ukraine being another very long conflict but i don't think we're i don't think our primary focus is 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 to be kind of a a political conversation on this one uh it's up to you um but then for the um 
so private contracting at the time there were there were way you know there's all these different places you can go that you could find a contract but whether or not it was a good one was a different question or find a position so they were looking for security guards and then there was this sort of hierarchy of you know, did you, did you, which company did you work for and, and, and what jobs, but it was a little bit more like a Western, it was like an American job title. Like, okay, here's what I'm looking for. This is the duties. This is the pay. I'll take this job kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so it was very much so like, you know, a, 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 an American, there's a reason why we call it contracting. It's, it's, it's like an American job concept. Um, and then with that, there were more prestigious or more, um, expensive maybe more financially beneficial positions that had stricter and stricter requirements and some of those requirements were very public and some of those requirements were kept behind closed doors with a little maybe if you wanted to call it a little nepotistic it's it's you're you can't get away from it man sure if you've got if you have to produce a team of really high performing dudes right now and the immediacy of it is is being generated by a combination of the fiscal value of the potential contract and the extremity, the extreme or the nature of the, of the job, you're probably going to get picked people who you, who come from a background that you're confident in. Right. So if you've only ever worked with seals, you're going to pick a lot of seals. Cause you, you know what you happen to know a lot of seals. Mm-hmm. So you're going to call them and be like, Hey, we need dudes for this task force. And because you know, more seals, seals are going to call other seals. And then you're just going to go down the line. Whereas, uh, and so, so, so there is a natural um, risk of nepotism, but one of the benefits, one of the great benefits of contracting is that uh, so many people of so many different backgrounds end up over there that you get to learn, you get, you get the sort of, in the worst of light, you get infighting in the best of light, you get all of this kind of knowledge coming together. And so I worked with a lot of people who were SEALs, were Rangers, were MARSOC guys, were regular, I did work with some guys who were regular military, regular conventional forces. Um, I worked with some guys, um, I guess there was a controversy, there was a controversy at a time where some cops got in, but that was, that's for, I don't, I didn't have to deal with that too much. Thankfully, um, there were I've I've, I've worked I worked with people who were contracting longer than they were st- they had started contracting before I even got in the military, so like you know old dogs and new kids and young blood and all that kind hmm. of stuff. But the nice thing about it was like, I think for most of us when uh, we we started developing a little bit of a um, at least in my perspective, I knew that let's just throw a name out there. Let's I knew that. Uh, Carl was a seal, but it doesn't mean that Carl is of the seal cast of the contracting world. Mm. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, he was a seal, but it's like it's kind of like, oh yeah, you went to school at Dartmouth, gotcha. Moving on, um, sure. So there was a little bit of uh, mixed levels of professionalism that happened there, and that also provided a really good. Um, how do you say it? You know, it provides a really good self-policing at, uh, uh, um, dangerous, but good apparatus for self-policing. Because if I know that you're coming from third ranger battalion and I've been in this for a while, chances are, I know somebody else who's been in, who was in third battalion mm. and I can call him and have, if, if he can't tell me about you, somebody he knows can tell me about you. And so I can figure out whether you're a good dude or not. Sure. 
Um, <clears throat> so there is that. This is where that small circle thing comes into. Is some of it is or some of it is organic and some of it is not. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the answer is I worked with a lot of dudes. Yeah. <laughs> what What was the contrast between um, being in the military, both both in the U.S. and deployed? as opposed to contracting not not maybe not necessarily the mission unless unless you want to but more just like the the culture the philosophy kind of you were talking about the bureaucracy that exists in the military um what what's the contrast between those two well i'm just going to talk about deployments and i'm just going to talk sure. about deployments in especially particularly in afghanistan when i was in range battalion my objective was offensive Okay, we're gonna we 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 are building we're building a I would have you know a, not a threat map but I would have a there would be a a a, a target package for se, sure. per se does that make sense right mm -hmm. so yeah. like it's a very distinct offensive defensive difference that's the easiest way to say it um, so while while you're in Ranger Battalion my job was my, my, our objectives were all to go after people we were not there to sit and make sure that the airfield was safe. We weren't there to, to protect anything while I was a ranger. Now, mm -hmm. our, you know, we had, there were other people who did that. And right. some of them, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about them. Whether it was like, oh, it's the National Guard, or which, which, which is weird. Or like, it's the big army. Or, 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 or maybe it was, I was a private and it just didn't even touch my brain. Right, you for know? sure. Because I was too worried about being yelled at by my squad leader or my team leader or something like about that. About that so stray hair. Yeah, yeah, right. Of which of which you were so proud at that age. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, whatever, right? I mean, I yeah, well, it's just a phase, mom. Uh, but <laughs> the um, it's not a phase, mom. Sorry. Uh, so so yeah, the 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 posturing was very different when I when when I when I deployed in Ranger Battalion, my posture was offensive it was i am going after things i am trying to figure out this thing i'm trying to fight this guy figure this stuff out hold mm -hmm. this you know very much so like that's the mission yeah. whereas when uh when i went overseas in a contracting um capability it was this area is my responsibility or these these are my responsibilities of making sure nothing happens to this so there might be some you could even get weird and say proactive self-defense measures or basically there sure. was surveillance going on to figure out, you know, to, to keep attention for potential threats. There was, a, but it was much more, it was a defensive posture. Our job was to make sure this thing didn't, nothing bad happened to this thing. And, and that's, that's all it was. Hmm. So that was the big difference on the, that was on the mission set side. And that bled into the, the, um, the, the attitudes of people within because you know in, in on the ranger battalion side when i was deployed with them you you had something to aim at and so you could you could kind of orient whatever you're working on towards that whether it's changing your fitness routine for a little bit to to kind of focus on okay we got you know some longer hauls coming up i want to make sure that my you know, I, 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 my gear works, so I'm going to do a ruck march with my rucksack and figure that up and, and whatever. Whereas like in contracting, it was a little bit more like, um, how do I gather more intelligence on what's going on in the area without breaking, uh, OPSEC for other people? And how do I, blow, how do I kind of pay attention to these things? And that could lead to a cultural, uh, culture of complacency at times, uh, whether from us or from the people who hired us. 
uh or it could be there was different dynamics because you know we're like well we're we're a necessary asset here because without us the people who are that we're defending aren't defended and so then you had to deal with like relationships there a really good movie as far as that kind of describes this a, a movie that does it well is that um uh, 13 hours the the first the opening you know half of the movie before the the gun the bullets start fly, firing is a sure. really good example of what contractor life was like at the time where it was like this weird simultaneous relationship of disdain and 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 need mm. um okay yeah so that's just it's a really good example of it i think that's probably the best movie i would say that's described what the given it, it's given its hollywood-esque yeah, approach yeah, to for it sure. still which isn't you know isn't too over the top i i guess but it was that's a good example of like showing what it was like because you're you're simultaneously you have a lot of time to go to the gym you got a lot of time to you know eat well some people read some people are taking college courses you're getting to know each other you're working well with each other and then you've got other people that you're working with uh depending on what capacity you have and so there's this kind of constant threat of drama. Sure. And that's usually kind of like, you know, oh, somebody didn't like that we were working out too loud, so now you can't go to the gym until freaking four in the afternoon because, you know, someone might be <laughs> sleeping at, sleeping off a hangover at noon. You're like, whatever, dude. The just bureaucracy persists. It is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the I bureaucracy. I escaped it. There is no escape. <laughs> Yeah. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Right. Jump change. Yeah, there's also, you know, there's also like the, the negative side is there's a little bit of this like who's cooler than who attitude and most people work that out pretty quickly. So. Mm. Sure. Sure. Most people at least within once you're if you're all hired within a team, most people work that out pretty quickly, so. Yeah. Yeah, especially so, it uh you're still in a culture where where uh, you need to prove what you say. You can't just bluff. You know, you're you're involved in even if it's offensive, you're involved in operations, and you're with other trained people. So if you're talking big and can't fill your hand, you know that's it'll be known quickly. G- generally speaking, no one gets away with lying. No, in the yeah. long term, ta- in the long form, long tail, like it is generally speaking, no one gets no, no one gets away with lying about their background. Um, big fish stories that are taken too seriously tend to bite you really badly. Right. I mean, there's it's it's there there's, in that side of the world, there's a certain level of reputation is important. And so there can be a there can be this feeling of like dog eat dog where people are backstabbing each other to try to get you know new elbow into positions and there's limited uh there's a limited billet so people want it and then they kind of there is there is all those dynamics there really is and if you're not willing to if you're not willing to navigate the people side of it then it's just quite frankly not for you Hmm. now that doesn't mean that it justifies the kind of brutish behavior that certain people present but like it's not hard to it's it's really here's an example of it if like if you if you are are not up to the 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 snuff and an event happens where that gets portrayed everyone who who watches you do the thing wrongly will go and that that will spread very quickly through the network and you will find yourself (laughs) on less and less jobs and less and less phone calls 
and less and less, you know, it, whatever. Or if you mm-hmm. have a reputation of being a snitch, or if you have a reputation of being a dishonest guy, or if you have a reputation of being lazy, or if you have a reputation of being, you know, the slow man on the team, all of those things, though, if, if you it, reputation management is a combination of individual character, like you have to be deliberate about your character and just kind of social interaction. And dude, I was a homeschooled guy from rural Minnesota. It's not like it's a magical world out there. It's just how people work. And so most of the things that you experience when you find out people disqualify themselves are usually pretty straightforward and they're not really negotiable. And then you hear about things where like, oh, such and such got blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, that's really unfortunate. And things kind of work their way out. And ego flares up and you it happens you know like you have all these dudes doing the thing like do you really think that you're going to get a bunch of guys who are high performers who are trying to figure life out and do things well are going to just sit there and abide while bureaucratic garbage makes their life suck no so but yeah that's that's kind of that one yeah um, it, get, it gets tricky because how do you want to talk about it? You know, it's like, oh, it's secret. Well, yes, but. Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely definitely an aura about it. What mm. did you want to touch on? You, you mentioned how um, it's misunderstood, the whole contracting world. Did you want to touch on that at all or? Yeah, I mean, the the common, and I'm sure this has changed quite a bit by now, but the common perception of like private contracting is your generic movie bad guy, you wear black uniform, you carry G36, everyone think you bad. Mm. You're just a, you know, so so the so the the, this idea of like the wild west of private contractors running around with no rules of engagement is so laughably far from reality. That you need that that like that it, it, it in other that you're that you have to understand that that person's perception of the world outside of America is no different than their perception of Lord of the Rings. It's a fi- it's a fantasy entirely, like, and so I, and I and I don't and that is going to come across as derogatory. But like it is there it like the the world of private contracting is not the wild west where you just run around with no rules of engagement doing whatever you want doing secret black ops ops blacker than black you know things to just go kill people and and uh uh, did you know that they sent the black water delta you know uh, whatever you want to call them you know triple dark horse people to go fight the no no that's not how it works like there is not this the there is not this this mass level recruiting with a public facing company involved in some massive conspiracy to like send special operations thugs to no, no, none of that's true. What, what you're, what you find out is that the people who are involved in the private contracting world have very strict rules of engagement that are oftentimes one layer tighter than what the military has, because the military can say it was necessary for the operation. You on the other hand are a private contracted individual. So you are disposable. Mm. We can say you did it, not the organization. And that's why we hired you. Right. So there is a disposability of it. And that can be a little grating, grating against people who are on the inside. But that's what we kind of signed up for. All right. That's what we took the job for. Mm-hmm. So there is an element of it's that that's the probably the biggest distinction is like this. There's this sort of fanciful idea that Blackwater is the wild west of the world where we go around hunk, hunting people. And I don't work for Blackwater, by the way. 
Um, but like that you go around, you know, creating private militaries to blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that, that is a very, 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 very low, low take on, on understanding just the complexities of that environment. Mm. So, you know, there is at some point level, at some, at some level and at some point you are engaging on questions of legality versus morality. Um, but that also applies to the military too. It's kind of like the same thing of saying everyone who joins the military is a baby killer. Like, okay, I don't, I can't take you seriously because that is uh, how, how else are you supposed to categorize the world? Everyone from China is a racist. Everyone from Russia is illiterate. Everyone like, like right. every nurse, every nurse is a government paid hack to force the vaccine. Like you get my point. Like, right. it's just, it's just, it's like, do you have no perception of humanity recognizing that individuals make decisions like, mm. like and, and, and it's just because there's a bureaucracy to it or just because there's a government involved. The government consists of people. People make human decisions. Human decisions are sometimes motivated by uh, by by things that appear rational. Sometimes they're not right. Mm. Marrying a stripper is typically not a good idea, especially if it's done. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's not, you may be the exception, sure. But like, you know, it's just, it's just this idea of it as, as, as this sort of like the private, as if the private contracting world is some secret dark money, you know, murder bot is like, bro, I wish I could help you, but uh, I, I might as well not, you know, this, this. So that's kind of how that goes. There is a, there is a, there are rules to it. There's hierarchies to it. There's unstated expectations to it. But that's a big difference. Yeah. So I'm sure there's somebody somewhere in the world, probably with the name Wagner Group, that will hire people, or cartels that will hire people who are who are willing to be a little more scrupulous about their morals, less scrupulous about right. their morals. They don't have sure. scruples. Um, you know, but like that that's 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 not a lot of people i'm I'm saying it's not that's not a lot of people it's just it's just not the majority like that's mm -hmm. not that's a very there's a very large distinction between something like how blackwater or the uh, the company formerly known as blackwater would work with the american government versus like how soldiers would get out of the military and get recruited by cartels to train their dudes mm, yeah pretty distinct you know hmm. pretty pretty broad distinction so when you when you transitioned from contracting to um, journalism, did do you think the your military history did that did that assist you in transition both both personally and then also um, in, in just getting the job? Like was it like, hey, I'm a former ranger, and they're like, oh, we definitely want you, or did that hurt things? Um, so journalism, I, I don't think I entered journalism as, I don't think if you had asked me when I stopped contracting that I, if I was, that if you had asked me when I went to school, if I was thinking about a job in journalism, I think I would have said no, under no concern, mm, no, no, okay. no, right. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot. I, I forgot you went to school in, in between. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. My bad. So I went to school for <clears throat> philosophy and theology, which is, you know, People who get out of like com combat positions, like you know, a, an eleven Bravo four mm -hmm. Victor team leader in in Ranger Battalion, like, oh, what you know, what useful skills do you have for the civilian market? And you're like, I don't know. I'm going to go to school for philosophy for less, more, more, more <laughs> non marketable skills, right? Um, 
so you know that's that's a great idea right right but uh um i did not so when i was going to school i did not exactly think that i would would ever work in journalism mm. and i think the culture made rotate the american culture made a rotation or changed its changed its its approach to certain things during this time that led those two things to come together in a way that I did not expect it. I did not expect there's a, um, mm. one of the, one of the things if you want to say for journalism is that, so I, I was an editor for recoil magazine and then I ended up uh, a guest appearing on Tim pool's podcast or Tim pool's IRL and Tim mm. pool uh, and, 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 and that whole thing, um, you know, Tim pool is a common, he's a, he's a news commentator and he's a journalist. And so, 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 you know, I, when I got hired by recoil, mm-hmm. um, I had already published, I'd been, I had, I had been published before. So I went to school knowing that I wanted to get into writing and I knew I wanted to be a writer and I'm probably not doing that very good, but I knew I wanted to go to, I knew I wanted to be a writer. And so I went to school for philosophy and originally writing and then trans dropped writing and picked up theology. Cause I did more writing in that course in, in that, in that platform anyway. Mm. So then, <clears throat> and then I had a minor in history and then a minor in Greek. I, I went to school for theology. I, I'm a Christian and right. very much so in that, in that vein. And so, um, but I did not see that journalism was going to be the way, although yet in retrospect, everything is so clear. And so I did a long motorcycle trip, uh, 15,000 miles in 31 days across the United States. My wife is a photographer. She took pictures. I did some writing, ended up in a magazine, which was Overland Journal. Uh, my wife is a very accomplished photographer. Mm. Her first time published, we were on the cover of Overland Journal, which nice. is really cool. And so that was sort of like the okay, maybe uh, maybe this is an avenue, right? And and, and you're sure. you're foggy and trying to figure things out. So I graduated in 2018, um, and then I kind of wandered very 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 poorly for a couple of years. Like 18 through 19 was pretty rough. Mm. Um, that's when I started dealing with like post post military depression. I didn't have something to focus on. Uh, my writing got sloshy. I didn't know what to do. I probably drank too much. Um, hmm. And then I ended up getting a job at Recoil, which was really cool. And I think that my military career had, it was, I, th- I don't know if I wouldn't, I, I, I guess I could talk to the people, but I don't think being in the military got me the job, but it certainly was an influence because it was what I wrote about and how I thought about things. And so sure, Recoil is a firearms magazine. So there's a natural correlation there. Uh, one of the other editors on the staff was also a contractor, so we could talk. Mm, it was there. Okay. So there, so all of these things ha- had been a contractor in the past. So there were a lot of like <clears throat> connections um, sure. that could be made, touch points of connections, but I don't think it hurt or helped. It hurt being a veteran, and it definitely hurt in other ways. If you want to, you know, I don't know if this is the case ever, but if, you know, if anyone who's listening to this exists within corporate America... Uh, I suggest you go to your HR team and you scry the hell out of them and figure out which ones have an anti-military bias and immediately fire them. Because I can guarantee you that there's people within your company, even if you're a pro-military company, Mm. even if you're a support the veterans company, go to your HR team and just cut them out. 
get rid of a lot of them because huh. you're gonna you're gonna I'm I'll tell you right now that your HR team is undermining your company. If you're not, I mean, this maybe that's a little aggressive, but you got to be careful about your HR. Sure. Because I, I, I in, because all the people who worked who ended up working in HR that I went to college with were all the kind of people who probably shouldn't have been gone to college because they're in you know they're just whatever, maybe they should have waited a year or two or figured some things out. Mm. But, uh, um, there was a, there was a certain, um, element within the, that environment, um, that ha that holds a, a, a certain bias, let's just say that they're able to hold without having it in, in, um, what do you call it in, uh, in, in, in policy. So, Oh, I okay. So like, it's not an official policy of the company, but the benefit yeah, yeah, of the yeah. people in there will still. Yeah, I mean, if if sure. if I could, if I if if I could, uh, if I could, you know, if I could, if I could make a career on how many times my my paperwork got lost, I wouldn't need to work ever again. But it was, I mean, there were multiple companies that be like, you can't, you can't tell me that, you know, it, there's no way it was on my end after the amount of times that it was done. It's like, oh, you know how many times my resume has been lost. Mm. no sure. less than you know you know no just oh we lost your information right yep you know you you didn't huh. lose it your hr department didn't want you know didn't they didn't want it it's fine you know but sure it's... just tell me <laughs> well no 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 it's not even just tell me it's that your hr department is lying to you is what they are they're mm. they're pro they, it's very it's very you have to be very careful on it because I don't want to make sure I don't want to put it in a light where everyone who works for HR is is the devil but let's be honest here you can do a lot of things without being without being public about it and one of those mm. is you know okay so imagine you know your your company is looking to hire people for whatever job right so you put out a job listing um, and that job listing gets a number of applicants and then those applicants, you're, 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 you're making, uh, assessments on their capabilities. You're making assessments on their morals and their character because it does have a role. Um, if this guy's not honest, why would I have him work for the company kind of thing? There's a certain element of that. If I can, uh, if I, if I get the impression that somebody has, you know, Right. If if I if you work in a warehouse, but you you've been fired for stealing, probably not going to hire you, kind of thing. I can I can understand that. You know, there are elements right. to it. But so you you know, and these are all hyper hyperbolic a little bit, but I'm using them as an example. And so then, so now you get a list of candidates who all fit the requirements because your your software has determined that these people's resumes all contain the material. And then your HR department has to take that stack of resumes and reduce it to maybe ten ideal persons. And that person who is responsible for, um, you know, distilling a batch of 20, uh, 20, let's just say there's 25, make it through the auto sorter. And now, you know, the, the, the final decision person at the, who's going to choose who gets the next interview, um, says I need so many of them distilled down because I only, I, I can't look at 30 people because that's reasonable. You can't sure. look at 30 resumes and get an at, you can't look at, you know, so many different applicants and whatever. And so then you get an employee who's working within that department who um, has a bone to pick because the person they met a veteran in college who told them that they were stupid because they're stupid. <laughs> and uh, I'm, this is not from personal experience, by the way. And then so now that person 
goes, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Um, and looks and is hand sorts the resumes or digitally sorts the resumes, whatever, and weeds out all the ones that remind him of that guy who called him it was dumb. Mm, yeah right or or and so yeah sure maybe if you're in the in you're in college you shouldn't call people stupid i completely agree with this i'm using a hyperbolic hyperbolic argument for the purpose but i can even pull it back so now you have somebody who says so your your company is we support veterans or whatever it is you know your veterans get a bonus hiring position they get a plus one to your hiring protocol, right? Mm-hmm. Your HR department will trump any policy that you put in place through ma- methods of private drudge. Mm, and sure. so you know, they can do that. They'll find a way. And, just, and I can tell you this, it's the easy other answer is because when you're in the military, you figure out how to do things. Okay, we can't, uh, you know, uh, we really, really need this item. You know what you're going to do? You're going to go find that item right you will find that item you know like you will find ways to do things there's 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 there there is the the public facing side and then there's the the way that things get done there 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 is a joke about the e4 mafia yeah but like so what i'm saying is that no amount of public statements about supporting veterans or hiring veterans or giving veterans any preference at all it, it is going to overcome the issue is going to reverse the opinions of a begrudged or a, uh, a an HR employee who holds a grudge against people mm. of a certain position. Sure. And sometimes those things are stupid. Like, you know, oh, I dated a, I dated a military guy once and he left me or cheated on me or like, that's a horrible thing to happen. Maybe they lied to you, but like, it is a hard problem to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that when it comes to like hiring companies, you probably need to find out who's in. I, I would, I would, I would watch your HR team pretty aggressively because they're they hold the keys to your palace. They hold the keys to your company. Yeah. So well, and and your example does make a lot of sense because it people that go in HR um, tend to be. Um, um, I don't know how to phrase it, but like that kind of person, right? And most... I mean, I can I, I can tell you who went into HR from, I can tell you exactly who went into it when I went to college and they were communications majors who were basically illiterate right. with a very, right. very, very vocal political opinions. And and the, the veteran that they're going to encounter in college typically is, you know, four, four to six years older than them and has seen the world and is looking at them and, and legitimately like you are stupid. You know, or you, you have not the life experience that I have and I'm struggling to, to communicate with you. So it's very understandable that that kind of interaction would happen. Yeah. Like I need to, I probably should walk it back a little bit too, because it could come across as a little bit, um, you know, uh, how do I put it this way? I I should walk it back in a certain sense of say, we talked about this earlier with, you know, not all veterans are blank. Like, yeah, not all HR people are blank. You're absolutely correct. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like not all, uh, not all communications majors are dumb, right? I, 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 there's a, there's some people that I went to school with who are communications majors as well as other things who are extremely talented individuals, very, very hardworking, very, very skilled. Right. Mm-hmm. And they went on to do whatever in life. Um, but so, you know, so like that's, that's kind of a, an, 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 I need to be careful in how I say this. Cause I guess I, I get a little personal about it, but you cannot rule. What I can say is that the people who there is a certain, um, how do I put it this way? 
going into a position of HR can afford a lot of power to somebody who shouldn't have it because they hold a personal grudge based on their own mm. personal decisions. Sure. And there's no so, mechanism to weed that type of person out. There, sure. is, there may be, there may be okay. mechanisms. There may be. And this is, this is where I don't have full authority on the example, but there is a certain, you, ha you cannot go in naive thinking that because a person has, has, has a, you know, a four-year degree or a six-year degree because of certain factors, because now we're starting to deal with things like, you know, um, uh, what, what, what kind of biases are acceptable, right? So, you know, we, we have rules in our world, in our, in our country, we know that you can't discriminate on the base of race. You can't discriminate on the base of disability. You can't discriminate on the base of sex, you know, these kind of things, these terms that we use. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree with you that these are all principles that we live by. And so the concern will be, the concern is that when you, is that, HR, the not HR itself, but like there are, where are there people? And I don't want this to turn into an entire witch hunt. That's probably not the way to do it. But it is, there is, there is, you do not be, be do not be naive. If you are a veteran getting out of the military mm -hmm. and you are faced with hiring problems, that's the way of the world. You're not going to get away from it. Maybe you don't deal with the same issues that other people have. Mm. I don't want to throw you out and say, okay, it's going to be hard and everyone's going to hate you. That's not, a, that's very jaded. It's very nihilistic. It's not a good attitude to put out, to, to, to enter mm. the world with. And in, 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 and in inverse, it's the same way where like when recognize that there are people who will disdain you and will actively try to prevent you from getting a job or a position because of the things that you've done in the past. And maybe it's because they don't, maybe, maybe it hasn't any, nothing to do with you. They just hate military people because they had a bad experience. Maybe mm -hmm. their dad was a thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's very, very straightforward, right? Maybe it's politically motivated. Uh, maybe it's ideologically motivated. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you made a comment that they misunderstood and then they hold that grudge for 30 years or, or whatever it is. So, there's a certain element of it that that um, uh, you can say, you know, veterans who go to college after the military tend to be a little bit older than their peers because, mm. you know, many kids go to college or they join the military. So being older has a certain set of benefits, like you're a little bit more capable of knowing what to pay attention to and what not to. You're a little bit more independent because you've been around for a while. You've been you've lived on your own. And, and it's easy for veterans to hold disdain against other students, which, okay, fine. Probably shouldn't <laughs> do that. Myself included. And the, and that's how I would kind of put all those things together is like, yep, you know, hmm. it's going to be hard, figure it out. You're going to do it. And the relationship <clears throat> of ideologically motivated individuals getting into positions of, a, a, a of, unspoken authority is always going to be the case and it's something that we need to pay attention to so you can't get away from it it's people people are people hmm. yeah yeah it's not very it's not like a happy-go-lucky conclusion is it like <laughs> well it's know. reality you know i mean that it it's uh mm -hmm. life isn't all easy you know very and it's true. not all hard either yeah so to present one one viewpoint or the other is is not a full picture. 
Yeah, getting out of the military was difficult. Uh, and it wasn't getting out of the military that was difficult. It was going from being in the military to being in contracting to being in college to being trying to look for a job and not not having um, having a couple of years of really bad experiences. Well, and, and you mentioned earlier the um, kind of the short-term mindset, especially when you're deployed. It's you're, you're thinking about today and tomorrow, and you're not thinking about a year from now as much. So the transition out of that, you kind of, it sounds like you kind of stepped it a little bit. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a direct hard from deployment straight into standard civilian world. You know, you went to contracting, which was similar, but still mm -hmm. the transition. Um, I think that's, I think, I think that's uh, not completely understood by, by civilians. I, I mean, I think even military guys don't don't have like we're trying to figure it out as we go. Mm. Like even veterans are trying to figure that kind of stuff out. Sure. There was I think it was like six days between I stepped off a plane from Afghanistan and six days later I was in the classroom. And that was like, oh, kind of a culture shock. But of course, you know, there's good and bad for it. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the university I went to. I got to make some pretty good relationships with my professors. Mm. So there's something to be said there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, uh, maybe, maybe I'm just assuming, but it seems like being a little older would encourage you to develop a relationship with your professors as opposed to the standard student would be, would be spending time with their peers. I don't know. Maybe. Cause I think it could be, That's, I haven't thought of it that way. Um, I, I, I think so though. Yeah. I, I could see that very much. So I mean, maybe I'm more likely to. Yeah. There's benefit to both. Uh, types of relationships but yeah it, it seems to me that if you're a little older you'd stand out you know you can relate to the professor more and the professor's like oh this this guy knows what's up you know he's not I, yeah i still i still i still i still uh, associate with two people from my college years one of them is a professor and one of them is a fellow student yeah, yeah. two so well uh let's see yeah. if uh if a Listener thinks we kind of yada yada over the interesting part. Um, where would they where would they find more about you and, and hear more about you? Oh shoot! Well, I guess um, if you wanted to go through the beginning, okay. So if you want to find out any of the work that I do right now, there, I run, I am I am the the guy behind a company called Redacted. Uh, the the mission of our company, of my company, this this product, this independent media company. That if you want to talk about our our mission is, um, I'm a philosopher, dude. I want to talk about the ideas, and I want to I want to, I'm a part of gun culture, <clears throat> American gun culture, right? So uh, we run a podcast called the I called the Redacted Culture Cast. That is we we air that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with guests from various components of gun culture. Whether it's, um, you know, like YouTube personalities to manufacturers to um, other writers to mm. uh, veterans to active service guys to cops to whatever the might the made so so the interviews and the podcast is really to focus on what I refer to as the philosophy of violence. And so to be clear, when I think mm. of the word philosophy, when we're talking about philosophy itself, it's not really about like, you know, oh, our business philosophy is. It's really about like what things you'd refer to as metaphysics, epistemology, uh, ethics. And so it's a much more rigorous approach. What is true and right and good? Not mm. what do we not not just what do we like, but it's it's much more focused on that. So 
Um, we talk about concepts, things like decentralization. We talk about values like individual responsibility. We talk about goals like, um, you know, organization structures, or we talk about goals like uh, skill set development. We talk about um, so these are all things that are, are, are kind of in our fo- are in my line. So mm. philosophy of violence is definitely a major one. What is gun culture? And, and a lot of the inspiration from it came from an observation of what we'd refer to, I'm still referring to as American gun culture, but sort of like the meta trend of guns in the, in the West is that mm. there was a major shift between generations as the kind of FUD generation kind of left the chat kind of, kind of moved on. Sure. And the old ways were very anti-intellectual and very focused on things. And the new generation, our era is very, very intellectual. We really care about what we think about. It's not enough to say that I have the second amendment. I don't really care about the piece of paper itself either. Mm-hmm. I really do care about the care about the ideas behind it. What would lead somebody to write that paper down? Why was that considered a value in that era? How does it apply if it applies at all today? What does this mean about reality? Do values shift with culture? Or are these objective things called good? And then, mm. or truth. And so, so, this is, so this is how, you know, we, I, I really want to focus on that one because we don't really have a von Clausewitz today. When we look at training apparatuses, for a long for the longest time, training skill sets in the United States has been driven by sort of B grade lawyers and and uh, you know this 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 fear that everything you do is going to end up becoming a lawsuit. Right. And I ag- I understand that there's a certain element of reality to it, but that is not ethics. That is legality, and we need to understand. Mm. I need you know and when I'm when if you're in a use of force scenario, you need to be, you need to know whether or not your decision is ethical, and recognize that there is a distinction between ethics and um, and legality. There is a difference between something being legal and something being right, and sure. that is called maturity. Yeah. And so these are the subjects that we focus on. It's not that you I would say that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right. No, there's a certain correlation between the two. But that is, you know, that is a that is a that is the subject that we like to focus on. It's, and and so if you were to listen to it, we have you can find it on most platforms. It's called the Redacted Culture Cast, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, I think we're on like Google as well. And then we're also we do have uh, the videos are also aired on YouTube and Rumble. So I do okay. record in I do record in video format. Um, so it's you know podcast platforms, uh, YouTube and Rumble, and then in addition to that, our Instagram is the other side of the business that focuses on gun culture aesthetics and some of the harder questions that I like to. Um, mm. It's a little bit more creative. Let's put it that way. It's a little bit more on the. Um, it's it's a little bit my creative side is 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 through mediums of film and and like trying to depict different ideas in the way that we think about violence and gun culture but it's it's a little bit more art art, art focused whereas the philosophy philosophy side is not not artistic at all it's very rigorous well, yeah the, instagram is a is a visual medium and yep. philosophy is is not a, a very visual concept <laughs> So, it can be, it, yeah. It it can be portrayed as. I mean, there's also the field of a- aesthetics, but it. I mm. don't. I I do not come from the. I do not come from the school or discipline that 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 um, accepts navel gazing as a form of philosophy. I think that 
what most people or what what most of the West has been convinced philosophy is is some sort of Eastern spiritualism combined with mm. uh, awkward pseudo articulate self expression. It's probably going to be the easiest way of saying it. Hmm. So, you know, oh, I, what I believe about the world is that all roads lead to Rome. Like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a preposterous concept to hold. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, there, there is no such thing as right or wrong. Morality, this is where, this is where bad philosophy leads to negative impacts in culture. Um, and, and I'll use an example when it comes to, to, to violence is that morality is relative. It's relative to the individual. Wrong absolutely wrong on every conceivable level mm. morality itself is not relative people's ability to observe reality is relative people's ability mm. to make decisions based on morality is relative it's relative to their ability to perceive so the real question so like for example let's go with the morality is relative argument um Morality is relative. Uh, there is no such thing as objective morality. Okay, so now you're making a metaphysics argument. There is a thing, and there is an ability to perceive. Two different concepts. Um, if morality is... is it, this, these are not very... These are kind of emotional arguments, but if morality is relative, then Hitler and Stalin are pretty good guys. They just didn't... They didn't see it to completion. It does might makes does might makes right. If that's the case, then I never rob you. I just write my way into your stuff. Um, right. You know, it, there, you, you don't you don't you can't really hold a tenable argument saying either a might makes right or b um, that morality is relative. Because in order to say that morality is relative, you have you basically have to dissolve all fabric of reality down to this primordial ooze of meaninglessness and the only uh, the only and, and so it's a, it's not a very it's not it's like a not a very good argument and that's the emotional response the metaphysics response is so you so you're you're saying that the ability that reality is determined by individuals capability of perceiving it it's this what you're saying is that hmm. the uh, the apparatus of reality is that no, nothing really exists only observation exists Hmm. that's not is that a you know like that is that a tenable argument i i don't think so but sure. it's 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 certainly a little bit closer to descartes that's a that's a good push so you might say that okay let's just say we know that the physical world exists we've come to that conclusion we know that information exists we know that there are things that are kind of in line of true like i am that's a truth i know it's true because i can conceive me right now um, you and I are having this conversation. There is this thing that there is truth. The table in front of me is brown. The, um, you know, two plus two equals four. These are, you cannot change two plus two equaling four because it is an objective statement. Um, you can't do that without destroying the fabric of reality. Sure. Mm -hmm. So then we know that at least new, that concept of numbers are necessary. And if that, if that's going along the lines of modal logic, we can even start by numbers. If you and I are having a conversation, I stay in the assumption that implies that numbers are a thing because there is one and there is two. There is me and there is you. And so if that is happening, it's not just my perception, which I mean, that's an assumption that you have to make anyway, but that's no different than believing in any other sort of philosophical uh, foundation. Um, 
then I can start with, there is this thing called truth. Then we can try to, then we can expand that from numbers to science. That might be an argument, but science can't solve a certain question. That's, that's morality. Morality, hmm. it's the is-ought divide. You're, you'll, never make, you'll never make it across. Facts don't make things moral. Facts inform, or hmm. facts fill in the context by which moral evaluations may be made, but those moral evaluations are made outside of or apart from facts. Science cannot produce morality. You cannot come to any argument about the existence of or arguments for morality from a test tube. All I can do from science, from this idea, which is an epistemological idea, which comes from, again, philosophy, the previous term used for science was natural philosophy, and that wasn't an accident. That was an argument understood by how do we observe the objective world through reliable epistemology through mm. reliable observational structures how do we think about how we observe so that we can learn things about the objective world which came out of christian humanism and so you go down this trail and then so going back to the objective morality question of so is morality objective or subjective that's a hard question and if you say it is subjective then you say it doesn't exist but no one lives that way. Mm. So maybe it's not true that it doesn't exist. Maybe it's limited. Because if morality doesn't exist, then anything is permitted. And if anything is permitted, well, then why are we even having the conversation? But we don't live that way. Mm -hmm. So it at least could be considered a social construct. Because under all societies, we at least have some rules that we live by. Whether it's between you and I. I trust that you will not lie against me. I trust that you will not steal me. You know, these kind of things. We believe in these concept of rights. Where did those come from? This might come from the Bible. Most people, what we understand as far as human rights comes from this idea that human beings are a thing and they have rights. They have rights for reasons. Maybe that were imparted by God. And so you, you fold, you, you keep following down this trail and you're going to be forced between a decision of either, well, that, that either there is no such thing as morality or it is out there and we are just not capable of perceiving it perfectly, like gravity exists, does morality exist? Hmm. Um, and then maybe because we can't see perfectly, maybe, maybe morality out there, and I'll make the argument, morality would be a black and white argument. We are just incapable creatures, so we are, our eyesight is poor enough that we see in shades of gray. But that gives us an impetus, it gives us a direction. We are duty-bound by existence through morality to pursue understanding what morality is, even though our eyesight isn't perfect. And that, saw, that, is, a, that is an antidote to the modern problem of being aimless. Hmm. If you tell me, if you want to know why people are committing suicide en masse, is because we don't have anything to aim at. We don't have anything to live for because hmm. either it's too easy, materialism, or it's too... Uh, it's to, it's been sucked of anything of valid meaning, multiculturalism. I'm not saying that cultures are not, I'm not saying that cultures are not equal. I'm not talking about the, the evaluations of different cultures. I'm saying that if you, if you remove the foundation by which anything is evaluated, that doesn't just produce some sort of utopia of equality or equity or whatever it is. It produces suicide. Mm, sure. So this this goes back to the veteran conversation for veterans who get out of the military one of the biggest challenges you're going to face is you do not have a deployment to defer your you do not have a deployment to defer to oh yeah yep you don't have a deployment to say ah oh, i uh, this is a hard question and I, but that existential crisis is sort of solved because you have something to focus on whether it's 
rank or structure or current issues that you're facing within your unit or what's your next move or what's your next objective or what's Mm. your next deployment or what's your next mission. And when you get out of the military, you don't have any of that. Not immediately. Some people do. Some people know which direction they're going. That's not everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I am saying, what I would say to people who are looking at getting into the military, and I, you know, I guess I could probably do that story a little bit, but I don't want to, you know, do only all of it. Well, no, no. I'll I'll phrase the question that I always ask because you're mm-hmm. getting right into the answer, and that is, if a 17 year old or 18 year old came to you and said, "I'm thinking about joining the military," or excuse me, "I'm planning to join the military," what would your advice be to them? Yeah, I I had the opportunity to try to think through this before, and I really am glad that you asked the question. You sent the question over, so I think this is of the things that you sent over. This is the one that I had to think the most about. Okay, it's it's also the one I try to always ask. So yeah, Good. okay. So I'm gonna just I, I have three points for you. If if a young person is interested in joining the military, I have three primary components, and then after that, I'm gonna I'll, I'll tell a little bit of how my story kind of turned out. My story sounds so narcissistic. I need to work on something better. But okay, so when you're when you're joining, if you're considering joining the military, the first one is be honest with yourself. Be honest with your intentions. And that means, you know, that is that is when I say be honest, I mean you have to ask yourself questions. Are you using patriotism as a veil? Do you just want to go see war? Do you want I joined the military because I wanted to go to war. I didn't I didn't it wasn't out of patriotism. 9/11 wasn't the thing. It was like, no, I want to go to war. I want to see what war looks like. I don't mm-hmm. want to just do a saving private Ryan. Oh, war tourism. I wanted to go see something. I wanted to know what it was. Um, I wanted to be a cool guy. I wanted to be a strong cool guy. You know, I'm not being I'm not trying to be um derogatory on this at all, but it's like I wanted to have that that mission, that discipline. I wanted I wanted the army to make me into something. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I I thought so. So hence special operations. So um, I I thought that so so one the first one is be honest with yourself, and and that m- I might look like writing it down. And I mean, even if you're not a great writer, write it down. Trust me. Don't write it down in public. Write it down in private. And and consider what your motivations are, what you think the military is and what you think the military is going to be about and what you, what, what you, what you're trying to gain from it and what you want to do in it and where you want to go. It's not an easy question. Sure. But it is very, be very clear about your intentions um, to yourself because they will be challenged. They certainly will be challenged. Um, The second one is look for a mentor. And that doesn't mean, and I, and 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 I I recognize that it being able not being in the military means it's really hard to find a mentor because you don't know what to look for, but mm. spend time looking for mentors. Mentor somebody who's been in the military, maybe in the job that you're looking at going into, whether it's you want to go into Ranger Battalion or maybe it's what do you want to do, right? Hmm. If you want to travel. I do not recommend going into Ranger Battalion. If you want to live in different parts, I mean, there's different. There are exceptions, but like, if you want to move from base to base, if you want to consider being an officer, if you want to look at all these things, you should find somebody who's been in some of at least some adjacent level to that position, and mm. talk and 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 develop a relationship, have a relationship with them for about six months before you sign the paper. 
because they will help give you, you know, and, and, it, and it might be from a mentorship standpoint, recognize that you only have so much of their time and that's just the way of it. Uh, but I would recommend not the fear of being embarrassed about wanting to be a Delta force operator, Navy seal guy should be less than your concern should be, um, should be exchanged for a willingness to go talk to somebody and not because they're going to make your life easier. Um, but it's not because not so that they can tell you how to pass selection. Cause that's the easy part. Hmm. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's not the, it's not the only part that makes it difficult. Right. But it's, it's uh, so that you can, you know, you're going to be focused a lot on so the selection process, which is appropriate, but also being able to frame your mindset. So you not necessarily know what to expect because we're naive, um, but know where you're going and, and, and not have not not know where you're going in the sense that you can, you know, manipulate the bureaucracy that is the government to get you into the exact position that you want in the time frame that you want. But to, to be a little bit more equipped to, to overcome the hurdles like the rumor mill and the, you know, how do who do you how do you get to the S2 shop and get the right things submitted and how does this work? And. These are good things to have. I would suggest a mentor. It's not always possible, but I would, re- I, I, if, if you have, I would recommend pursuing one mm-hmm. in person if possible. Um, definitely in person if possible. And it might, you might only meet them two or three times, but I would really, really recommend it. And that's where you get to kind of not, don't be, don't be afraid of it, but be humble. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's a good, don't be afraid of it. They're not there to bite you. Uh, and don't don't feel like you have to prove yourself yet because you're proving to someone who's been in the military, who's been in some position that you want by asking the question, that's proof that, that we can say, OK, um, I, I you know, you're not you don't have authority over their decisions, but that's the second piece of advice. And then the third one. <coughs> so the first one is, um, you know, um be clear about your intentions. Mm. Second one is seek out a mentor. And then the third one, which is, um, is a little bit, it's a, it's advice against something. And it's, uh, do not see the military as something that will impart a sense of meaning to your life. Do not look for it. Do not look, do not look for the military to give you a sense of camaraderie. Do not look for it to give you a sense of purpose and direction. Do not expect it to give you or produce in you discipline. It produces an environment where these things can happen, but it doesn't produce those things. Mm. So you will be in a team. That team will be required to be, will be faced with certain tasks. That does not mean you will work together as a team. You will just because you work with other people, maybe even some of them are like-minded does not mean that you will build camaraderie naturally. Maybe you'll go through similar hardships together and still hate each other. That's not a good attitude. It's, it's, it's do not expect the military to produce things for you Hmm. like that. Sure. It will not give you, it will not impart to you a sense of absolute purpose and direction. It'll give you a framework where you can work on that. It'll give you challenges to your own opinions about things. It will force you to turn maybe an otherwise unmanifested value into something real. You might have to live up to your values. Hmm. You may be faced with very obvious decisions between easy cowardice and strong bravery. 
you may think that you were courageous, but you may find out that you aren't the hero that you think you are, which is part of the process. You, you know, you'll, you'll be opened up to your weaknesses and strengths and stuff like that. But also it, you know, there's other places in the world that do that, but it will not, it will not impart to you a sense of overarching meaning and it will not explain the world simply. If anything, it will be difficult. Hmm. That's kind of what we do it for. And so those are the three pieces of advice. No, no, know your intentions, seek out a mentor and do not look for it to do not look for the military to provide an overwhelming sense of purpose. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that really, especially that last one, a lot of guys when they get out struggle to find meaning outside of the uniform. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, and it's not exclusive to military people. I mean, you got to look at that. You got to sure. Look that's true. No. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's very, it's very, um, very frank for people in the military. Very, very like you're in, you're out. Now what? So, sure, sure. Yeah, it's true. Kind of like, I guess, people who who peaked in college, you know, they think they associate themselves with um, being the star quarterback in college. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and it, they struggle to find meaning or value outside of the football uniform or something. That's true. Yep. Yep. You know, it's difficult. Um, and so, you know, so this is if I can summarize this and I'll, I'll, I'll go from start to beginning to end and i know i've been doing a lot of the conversation today so i no, that, that's perfect want... the listener okay. appreciates that <laughs> i hope so um so i'll so here's there's a certain when you doesn't matter what you do in life and it doesn't matter where you come from you're going to join the military with this if you do join the military you engage in anything whether it's college or work or social participation you're going to join the world you're going to enter into the chat you're going to enter into the environment with a certain amount of naivety Naivety is a combination of lack of knowledge or maybe holding on to believing things for not very good reasons and innocence. We apply a certain amount of innocence. There's a difference between naivety and ignorance. There's a different difference between being naive and being foolish. Hmm. So you're going to end. It doesn't matter how many mentors you acquire. It doesn't matter how much information, how many books you read. It doesn't matter any of this stuff. You will enter some part of your life naive. You're just going to naive. You're you, and and and, I, and 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 we all enter the world in this way. We all enter in some level of naivety, and eventually. And so, so what happened for me is that you know I I joined the military and I thought that Ranger Battalion was going to give me my sense of purpose. Um, and so when I I went to basic training and I was I was introduced to all these different people across the United States, and then some of those re- interactions were really great, and some of them I were fr- started friendships that have lasted to this day, and some of them were like goodness gracious, why would you ever say something like that? My first experiences with racism, my first experiences with all of this other kind of crazy stuff, right, right, right. But like you know that's what the world is, dude. It's not. It's not. We don't. We live a lot in a bubble right now, but fine, so be it, right. So, um, so I thought that, and I had, I held this idea in my head that Ranger, once I passed Ranger selection, the Ranger indoctrination program, I would be a real boy. I would be a real, I would, it would be like this kind of, then I would, I would not necessarily that I would have made it, but it was like, then I would no longer have to worry about these trivial things. Like, where am I going and what am I doing? whatever right i had this idea of like hmm. there was this going to be this great sense of achievement mm-hmm. of graduating ranger selection and i would be 
fulfilled like it, they had this this you know this 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 dream let's just say i held on to this dream for years of like then i would be cool or something hmm. and, and i'm not trying to be too foolish about it it's not like i thought i was going to be master chief from the halo series it's just that i thought that some of my trivial problems of being a young man would kind of go away because like oh well i don't have to worry about you know existential crisis i have a deployment to get ready for mm-hmm. So I went to RIP, and a normal RIP class starts with about 120 people and graduates about 25 to 30. It's got a pretty mm. high attrition rate, or it had. RIP is no longer a thing. RIP, RIP. Um, so uh, so a normal RIP class was described to me, and I understood it I, from what little reading I had done. I thought it was going to be this really hard thing. Uh, but when I accomplished it, it would be this sense of achievement, like I was one of the chosen. It's fantastic. So when I get to rip and when I get into the, the kind of waiting holdover to go into because I graduated airborne school, which wasn't hard. Basic training wasn't difficult at all. Like it's not there are there. It wasn't hard. Like I never thought I wasn't going to make it, you know, mm. airborne school. I never sure. thought I wasn't going to make it like there were definitely times where like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get. I'm going to be able to motivate myself to jump out of the plane, but I'll tell you what, when I got to that door, I fell right out that plane. Right. So sure enough, but like there was never this time where I thought I wasn't going to be able to get to rip. Um, it, and it was just, it wasn't as hard. I mean, I grew up generally healthy. I grew, I had good, decent genetics. Um, I had, I, my family had educated me well. I knew how to shoot a rifle. Um, in fact, I found the M4 very underwhelming. I was like, oh, it's a mini 14 with a better magazine. Ooh, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, this was back in the day, you know? And so, so I go to my rip class and, uh, and we get started and we have 315 students. Oh, wow. Which, I, uh, which you're like, you know, I, I, I guess I'm now focused all on doing the thing, right? I'm focused on, okay, I gotta, I have to graduate this. I have to pass rip. Sure. Um, and by the end of it, we graduate 285. Oh, wow. So, so it is the, it was like, by the end of it, it was like that, that was tough, but it wasn't that bad. I'm not saying I was a super soldier by any means, but it was Mm -hmm. like, okay. So the physical fitness was a pass fail and they let people through. We know it. They let people through for numbers, reasons or whatever, Mm. you know, whatever. But um, and many of those people found themselves kicked out of battalion very quickly. But what it did for a lot of us and what it did for, you know, a normal, you would think a normal rip class would be something like everyone who graduated knew that they should have been there, or at least for the most part for us, what it did, what it did to us is it robbed us of a sense of achievement. Mm, sure. It was, so I'm sitting there on the parade field with, you know, 200 and something other dudes who a small cohort of them know that they passed and they passed everything and they know they did it well. And another cohort or another group of them knew that they, they just got pushed through. Like I, there's people who got into Ranger Battalion who knew that they just got shoved through the system. Mm-hmm. Most of those people found themselves getting kicked out pretty quick. Sure. And then the third group was the majority of us kind of sitting in that middle ground of like, did I make it or did I get let through for numbers? Like my, right. my ability to like, Oh, you know, I went to the, I did the hard thing. I passed selection was robbed of me Hmm. because some bureaucrat said we need more Rangers or something like that. That was the way that it was presented, right? It was a little, it was a little frustrating. Sure. Uh, And so what did that lead to? Is that led to a great sense of nihilism 
and that, or cynical. We became, I became very cynical very quickly. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting stationed at the one Ranger Battalion that I didn't want to. I got over sent, sent to third bat. And so, you know, and then I ended up becoming our, one of my team leaders that I worked under. We did not get along well, and it's my fault in many ways. And we got, we were like oil and water, um, you know, Christians and atheists, this and that. Like it was just personalities, Midwest kid with a East Coast team leader, weird combination. Right. And it, and, and our relationship didn't go very well for a while. Um, and I am not innocent in this. Uh, and so, you know, I got this impression that I, I, I became very nihilistic. I became very cynical. Oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought Ranger Battalion was going to be all James Bond meets Master Chief. Cool guy missions and, you know, olives in my martini kind right. of thing. And, and yet, really, it's like, what did you expect, dude? You're like 19 years old with a bunch of other 19-year-olds being like, we're all jacked up on testosterone and deployment. So like, do you really think it's going to be that way? Like, what did you, did you really think this through? And the answer is no. Right. So, so, but so my naivety was faced with reality and it collapsed. It just crushed and something rushed in to fill that void. And so my naivety, I had this idea of what Ranger Battalion was going to be. And it turned out to be different than what I expected because you're naive. And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. You have expectations about the world and they don't meet up to your expectations. And so what happens is that naivety collapses and something has to fill the space. And what tends to fill the space is cynicism or at least skepticism where you're like, ah, maybe not, maybe all the stories that I was told were not real and skepticism. If it allowed to manifest and are allowed to take root in your, a bit, your perception of the world becomes cynicism and cynicism is looking at the world through this lens of like, it's all corrupt. It's all twisted. Mm. There is no there is cynical, you're cynical towards everything and like it, it it feels fun to be like jaded and a billy badass and you're like oh i'm just a cynic and you're like okay cool dude like you're just a low brain cynic but fine but sure. this is in retrospect <clears throat> but like the the cynicism is it does give you a sense of like maybe fulfillment in some sense for a while and then cynicism if allowed to manifest even deeper turns into nihilism which is there is no meaning everything is everything is shit everything is trash and there is no such thing as value. There is no such thing as good. Everything is just turtles all the way down of, and that's an old philosophical state statement of the, the, that the world itself is devoid of meaning and purpose, mm. that there is no way to find it. Sure. And that's where nihilism is a very dangerous place to be there. And, and, and so, so you, 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 you find this black pit of meaning and value out there. And you're like, I thought the military was going to give me meaning and it didn't. And you're, you know, and so and this process repeated itself when I went to ranger school. It's not like we got pushed through, but it wasn't the sense of achievement that I thought it was going to mm. be. And instead of it being so much of a, a struggle for me, I actually kind of took it out on my father by robbing him of the ability, the, the chance to be proud of his son. And so mm. that's a story for another time. So, uh, but Eventually, I kind of hit this rock bottom position of I was in battalion. I was, you know, I was I had my tab. I was pretty secure in my position or whatever it was. I had kind of figured it out uh, a couple things in battalion. And, you know, I wasn't like the ideal candidate for everything, but I was very, very nihilistic. And um, and it was it was it was a bit of a religious moment, but it was it was like, OK, um, 
I recognize that my worldview uh, of uh, it's not that I just recognized it in a day. It took time, but mm. cynicism. Um, I became extremely cynical, and I looked at everything as if I knew it was false, and I knew everything was a trap, and everything was everything was out to get me, and everything blah blah blah. And I just became very very cynical. Hmm. Um, and eventually, I that cynicism was revealed to being an unwillingness to look at the world. I didn't, I knew the abyss was out there, but I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to look out. Hmm. I didn't want to look into it because it made me feel bad. Like, Oh, you were stupid. You made naive decisions and whatever until, um, until it was, uh, I recognized that I, I had a relationship, my, my, uh, that I, I was trying to live a dual life. I was trying to, to, uh, author myself as the, 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 uh, obje- the, the creator of reality. I was like, uh, you, you, I was holding, I had a very high opinion about myself mm. thinking that I, I, I knew the world. Uh, that I that I that I and that was one way of saying it, but also that um, I wanted to have my cake and eat it too, in a sense of responsibility to reality, and uh, I, it, it was a very harsh confrontation with Christianity, and it's like I wanted to be a Christian, but I wanted to be a Christian on my terms. Mm. I wanted, yep. I wanted, I wanted Jesus to meet me on my terms. Jesus, I get to be a badass, and I get to do, you know, I get to do the the ranger thing of like, you know, drink all the time and sleep with a bunch of women, and also not, but also be a Christian or mm. or something like. It was this very, and and you could talk about it in like, you know, Puritanism, and you could talk about it in religious statements. But what it was is that I wanted, I I I wanted to believe in something even though i was very cynical i was like i i i I, it came to this confrontation of no you're cynical because you thought you that you could become the author of reality and reality said no Hmm. okay and so then i started looking at it because like you know i had to this idea that there is no sense of meaning because anything can be good or anything can be bad and, 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 and anything can be the uh, perspective of the, any perspective of the world could be true. And there was no such thing as truth, just power or something like that. Jeez, all these different nihilistic attitudes of, of um, looking at the world. And, and eventually it was, I had to stare into the blackness and say, uh, yeah, I, I had to learn to navigate it. I had to learn to navigate mm. that really dark cynicism and that really dark nihilism. And eventually out of that, I think wisdom could be obtained. And it was like, I could start to see things like, no, just because it's hard, to, just because you, you thought that you thought that the PT test was going to be the hard part. The hard part is figuring out why, what are you doing? Why are mm. you here? Why are you trying this? And that's a hard question to ask, but it, but you have to pursue it. And so, you know, and, and so I thought, um, you know, the, so, so cynicism and nihilism turned into this question of why should I try? And the answer that came out of that was, if you want to do, if you, if you, if, if you really, or what you believe is good is what you pursue. You pursue what you think is good. And if you want to pursue things that are good, you have to make yourself capable. Because if you want, because there's this thing that we do to ourselves 
where there's a difference between being a good man and being good at being a man. And this is a distinction made by Jack Donovan. And the difference between being a good man and being good at being a man is such that one deals with morality and the other one deals with capability. And so you make this mistake of thinking that if I'm capable, then I won't have to worry about morality because that's really the issue that you're challenged with. But really in the world that we live in, capability is the easy part. If Mm. you can tell me why, if I can know why I'm going to do something, I can figure out how. I can figure out comms plans, night raids, night vision suppressors. I can build bombs or explosives. I can write a book or I can build a family or, or whatever. But if I don't have that why if i'm trying to substitute Hmm. that why for something like self-fulfillment whatever the hell that means then i um you know then and 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 just in that broad generic sense that then none of the how matters none of the i can't i can't i can't figure out how to pass buds or ranger selection but if i have a why if I can figure out what, if I can focus on the things that are valuable to me and actually pay attention to what I value or be dis- deliberate about that, and then recognize that I am not the author of reality, I have to submit to something, and that might be my will, or that might be my mind, or that might be whatever I call objectivity, or that might be God. Whatever you submit to is your God. Um, if I'm not willing to efface that in any way, shape, or form, then I will live in perpetual nihilism because I am trying to deny the reality that I need to aim myself at something. Hmm. And if and it's really convenient if I say, "Oh, I can't do it because I'm not strong enough," then I am. I, what I'm doing is I'm creating this illusion for myself that. I am dissolved of the re- I am absolved of the responsibility of acting because I'm not capable of doing it. Oh, I could I would have saved that person, but I'm too weak. So I can't be held responsible. But I had good intentions. Right. I would have done the right thing. I would have been the ranger better, but I oh, I wasn't strong enough or I was betrayed or whatever. And it, it very quickly turns into this moral masturbation of And I don't mean that in like the masturbation is moral. I mean, you're masturbating your sense of morality because you're creating in yourself this illusion of being good, this feeling of being good without Mm. actually doing it. So if you if you're sitting here and you're looking at there's a difference between being a good man and being good at being a man. There's a difference between morality or capability and morality. And you face that capability question. If you try to solve the moral question with the capability question, you try to solve morality with science you're going to ultimately end up with some sort of um, you're going to end up false. You're going to end up on a false ground. You're going to create an illusory Island and your conscience and your mind will tell you that it's an illusion Mm. and that illusion will become nihilism. Whereas you have to try to figure out what you build your foundation on. And that can't be just yourself because when you go into the world, you realize you make decisions and those decisions are not always correct. Sometimes you didn't have the right information and sometimes you made a bad decision because you wanted the wrong thing. And so it happens. And so this, this difference between being a good man and being good at being a man, it becomes this moral question of, well, if I can be a good, if I know I can be a, I I know I can be good at being a man without being a good man. I know I can, Mm. I know I can be strong and courageous without being moral. But is the inverse true? Is it possible for me to be a good man without in at least some sense of the matter being good at being a man? And I think the answer is no. Because you can't claim morality for things that you can't do or you haven't done. Hmm. 
Yeah. And that goes back to we are very capable of producing ourselves the feeling of doing something without actually doing it. We call that masturbation. We generally look at it with a little bit of like cringe and gross. And so you can just like you can you can produce, you know, just like you can masturbate sexually, which is kind of gross. You can also do some you can do that same thing morally. You can produce in yourself the feeling of being moral without actually being moral, which leads to the question, is this neutral? Mm. No. No, it is not a net neutral. It is not a net neutral at all. You're not just producing this feeling. It's not It's not ignorance is bliss. It's ignorance is pathological. And it, deliberate ignorance is pathological and genocidal. Or maybe not genocidal. It's suicidal so, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. But it also it also is the thing which inform it, it it also is a thing which provides motivation within a person to be willing to dehumanize other people. It's not about self-love. But if you dehuman if you have dehumanized yourself to just an autonomous ro- uh, autonomous robot that lives by maybe hedonistic desires, whatever I want therefore is good, then you're going to dehumanize other people. So, if you're going to go to war dehumanizing them, that is a bad thing. You will be an ineffective soldier, but you will also be an immoral soldier because if you treat other your opponent as less than human, you will fight them as less than human and you will be effective less than because you're, you know, hmm. so there you're you it'll eventually catch you maybe in the long tail. But in the short tail is we are able so nihilism is this why should I try? It's all screwed up anyway. And that attitude is cynical and that attitude is requires to be held the idea that you can be good without being capable of good. It's not that being capable makes you good. It's necessary but not sufficient for morality. And at the end of the day, we desire we find out that we desire not just to be good at, but we want to be good people. We pursue something and we have values. There are things that we put value in. We want to pursue a value. And that is the foundation of morality. And therefore, it gives you the answer to if a man has a why, what how he will endure anyhow. And that was the hard crack at the end of the whole military timeline question of I had become cynical middle way or early, you know, in part way through my time in in the military, because I thought that the military was going to give me meaning and I was avoiding the hard questions that were before me. And then that took time years to work through. And then I, when I got out of the military, I thought, well, people outside of the military aren't going to have this problem. Wrong. It's everywhere. And so then it was, I'm going to go to school and school's going to give me this. It's going to answer my questions. Wrong. It's just going to, it's, it's going to be part of the process of learning and writing and thinking. And then, you know, I'm going to graduate school. I'm going to, I'm going to hold a job. Wrong. It's not going to, none of these things fulfill the final question but they're part of the process of pursuing it. And so you start seeing the world that it isn't an easy answer, but it's out there and, and, and there is something to be pursued. And it's, 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 there is something true. There is a boon. If you stare into the darkness long enough, you'll be able to, you'll start to learn how to navigate it very, very, very carefully. And inside the shadow, you will find the boon. You will find the thing the little bit of treasure, the little bit of wisdom that you can take out of it, and maybe you can share it with somebody else, or maybe you just hold on to it yourself. Um, but you have to go through the darkness to figure it out, and if you're not willing to, then then you'll never find it. 
because it's because cynicism is very very self-fulfilling it's easy it's it's not self-fulfilling it's very like it feels good when for what it's an easy answer but it, it will ultimately destroy you um yeah in a very tragic way you'll become a shadow of yourself well it's also easy because if <clears throat> especially nihilism if if nothing can be changed then it removes personal responsibility absolutely so it's, it's absolutely a, it's a very simple uh answer nihilism is effectively worshiping yourself as god hmm. oh and if i can't figure out it out then it can't be figured out hmm. mm. sure there's a re- there's a reason why there's a correlation between nihilistic worldviews and great great travesties in, in the world that we live in so hmm. that is that so I hope I hope I was able to give you the answer, the long form of you know, cynicism gives way or naivety will give way to cynicism. Cynicism will have to be navigated to find wisdom. Hmm. So naivety is in 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 uh, in metaphysic statements is it is true and I don't know why, or it's this naive approach to there is truth and then cynicism is there is no truth and then wisdom is a return to understanding that there is truth, hmm. but it takes. It takes work to un- understand. So hmm. you must navigate cynicism to come to wisdom. Cynicism will always replace naivety because naivety will always be crushed by reality. You might, you will believe things for bad reasons. We all do it. Then you'll become cynical. Navigate hmm. cynicism till you, you know, to pursue wisdom. That's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. I try to do the same thing on, on my end of the show. It's like, I don't try to come in over prepared.